Amen. If you would please open to that passage which Justin read for us. It's a long passage, um, but it was very intentional that, that we read the entire thing, that we read the entire story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it's a beautiful passage. It's not often read in one long reading at church, and it was a good idea, I think, uh, for us to do that. So thank you very much, uh, Justin. Um, I want to spend my few minutes with you this morning talking about five great truths, five facts about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a story we tell our children to make them feel better. These are facts. These are written down according to Luke chapter 1 uh, that we might believe, that we might know the facts. So Luke, who wrote the gospel by his name, is writing down these facts. They've been recorded. They've been passed down through the generations across the millennia to you and me here today. And we want to reflect on these five facts this Easter 2021. The first fact is a surprising one. It's this one. The first witnesses to the resurrection were profoundly unimpressive. They were profoundly unimpressive. Uh, the very first witnesses, according to Luke, are the same women who conclude chapter 23 in verse 55. It says, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, that is on Saturday, they rested according to the commandment. And verse 1 of chapter 24, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Like an e empty Easter egg. They went to the tomb expecting to find the body of the man they had seen killed just a couple of days earlier. Now Luke goes to great pains, as do all the gospel writers, to record the fact that there were witnesses to Jesus' suffering. There were witnesses to Jesus' death. And there were witnesses to Jesus' burial. In other words, the first witnesses knew exactly where to go. They knew exactly which Easter egg to open. There was no surprise. There was no uncertainty. They knew exactly where to go. They had seen him buried there. And so Luke records that fact because on the first Easter, they go and they find an empty tomb. Rather than the body that they could anoint with ointment, they found an empty grave. Now, the interesting thing about the fact that these uh, women are recorded as being the first witnesses is that in their culture, the time the Gospel of Luke was describing, women were not seen as reliable witnesses. We live in a different day and age. Uh, we have different issues. Uh, but in the time being described, women were not seen as reliable witnesses. It's interesting, even a skeptic like Christopher Hitchens, I, I love the late Christopher Hitchens, I enjoyed listening to his debates, even Christopher Hitchens conceded that it was an interesting fact that the gospel records that the first witnesses were profoundly unreliable. They were unimpressive. They were not thought of in their culture as people whose word could be depended on, whose experience, whose witness mattered very much to the world. Uh, women were not allowed to be uh, witnesses in trials by themselves. Their, their one voice didn't count as much as a male witness. And yet Luke records the fact carefully that it was, in fact, women who were the very first witnesses 
to the resurrection. They were the ones who found the empty tomb. And they were the ones, according to Luke, who go running back and tell the other disciples what they'd seen. What had they seen? They'd seen an empty grave, and they had found in verse 2 that there were uh, two men in dazzling apparel. We're told in other gospel accounts that they were angels, but Luke just records that there were these, these two figures here in dazzling apparel, They were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, that is the women. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, from whence they had followed him, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. Verse 8, they remembered his words. The one thing that these unreliable witnesses were able to do was remember the words that they had heard from Jesus just days before when he had described what was going to happen to them, to him. So they remembered his words. And so it says in verse 9, they returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These first witnesses were profoundly unreliable. They were not impressive in the eyes of the world. They were not reliable in the eyes of the world. Um, Feminists note that the men do no better. The men do no better at all. It says that the men didn't know what to make of these words. They took them to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. Actually, in the story, Luke records neither the women nor the men actually shine out as particularly impressive witnesses. The women were excluded because of some cultural uh, ideas. The men were excluded because they were just simply thick. They didn't understand. They didn't see and understand what the empty tomb meant. So Luke records that the first witnesses were profoundly unimpressive. I've got to tell you, I actually take heart from the way Luke records this story. I don't know about you, but I feel very often like a very unimpressive witness. I think Luke knew he was writing to people who felt like unimpressive witnesses. His whole gospel is aimed at giving us understanding, giving us confidence. Why? Because he knew we would lack confidence. So this first fact about the Easter resurrection is actually meant to give the likes of you and me hope and confidence. That even though we are in our own strength unimpressive, God can work with us. God does work with us. God chooses to work with us and through us. And that's a great gospel fact. It's weirdly reassuring, and I think it is actually meant to be. There's a second fact. The first explanation of the resurrection was based on scripture. Now this is interesting because you would think they were looking at the empty tomb with their own eyes. There were eyewitnesses who actually went to the empty tomb, were able to describe what these uh, angelic visitors in dazzling clothes, what they had actually said to the women, which was passed on to the men. You would think that that would be enough to give understanding, to to qualify as an adequate explanation. But right through these first few verses, we discover that the, the facts of the resurrection by themselves don't explain very much. Even if we remember Jesus' words as the women did, by themselves the facts don't explain very much. So what explanation did provide the needed 
evidence, the needed explanation for the disciples to begin to understand. It was verse 27, the scriptures. The scriptures. Luke records the fact that it was in the context of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who they did not recognize in his resurrection body. They didn't recognize who he was. But it was actually as he opened the scriptures that the disciples slowly began to understand. Their hearts, they later write, uh, it's described that their hearts were warmed. They, they began to realize what was happening You know, apart from the scriptures, you and I will not understand the resurrection. You and I will not have resurrection hope. You and I will not have resurrection joy. You know, it's it's something, it's sad in this crazy world that we live in today as we have let go of the scriptures as a culture. In fact, as the church, in many parts of the church, have let go of the scriptures, there's not the joy, the confidence in the resurrection because it's in the scriptures that you and I come to understand what Easter is, why it matters, why we teach our children about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As Troy said earlier, the resurrection is actually the evidence that Jesus' sacrifice has been accepted. Without the scriptures, we wouldn't have an explanation that would move our cold, resistant hearts But God has given us the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures that have been written down so that poor, unimpressive sinners like you and me can believe and understand what Jesus has done. And we can teach others, we can teach our children, we can teach our neighbors. It's because of the scriptures that you and I can have gospel confidence and gospel joy. A friend of mine is named Dick Lucas. He preached at a church in London for 40 years, and preaching on this chapter from Luke 24, Dick said, the difference between the fear and confusion of verses 1 to 26 is the opening of the scriptures in verse 27. It's when the scriptures were opened that the disciples began to understand the explanation. They began to get it and praise God for it. It's because of that that here at Metrocrest, the Bible is central to our life together. Uh, We look to God's word as the infallible, inerrant, totally dependable guide for our life, for our walk, for our understanding of Jesus. We don't make up stories about him. We don't look at traditions and church councils. We look to the scriptures, God's own message of love to the world, and that is the basis of for our understanding. That is the first explanation of the resurrection, and for that we should be profoundly grateful, so grateful that this Lord's Day we can turn to the Scriptures and we can see that Christ is the fulfillment of everything in the Scriptures. Third fact, the first understanding of the resurrection was based on the Scriptures in the context of fellowship and communion with the resurrected Christ. Look at this in verse 28 through 35. The disciples have walked with Jesus. They didn't recognize him, but they walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, verses 13 through 25. They walk with Jesus. Sorry, verse 35, not 25. Verse 35. They walk with Jesus. They 
in verse 27, uh, are allowed to hear the uh, prophets and Moses interpreted to them and all the scriptures concerning them himself. Then in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. In verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. It's interesting, we, those of you who are here on Monday, Thursday, we talked about the Lord's Supper, how Jesus had earnestly desired to share fellowship around a meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. He earnestly desired this fellowship, this communion with them. And it's actually at the point where he is once again sharing fellowship with them. A meal, a communion meal around the table. It's there in the context of that fellowship that at last their eyes are open and they begin to really recognize Jesus, the resurrected Christ. It was in the context of communion with him and with his people. I think there's so much in there for you and me as we gather this Easter Sunday. The Bible is not really meant to be read in isolation. It's not really meant to be studied in complete isolation. I was chatting with Barbara Moore, who's back with us today. Hello, Barbara. We're so glad to have you here with us this beautiful Lord's Day. This is her first opportunity to come back to church because of the COVID. And a lot of us have felt isolated and disconnected somewhat from our church What a blessing it is to be able to gather in fellowship. We take care. We're always diligent to make sure there's space for us where we can not be afraid of COVID. But what a blessing it is to commune with one another as we commune with Christ. It's not really about the supper itself, which is very important to us, but it's around the communion with Jesus, which the meal is meant to teach us and to symbolize. It's around this communion with Jesus, communion with Jesus' people, in that context in which our eyes are opened. Uh, The Lord's Supper can sometimes be so ritualized and ceremonialized that, that it begins to lose the connection to this idea of people connecting with the Lord, people connecting with each other. Uh, We had an Easter egg hunt yesterday. And let me tell you, the communion we shared on that beautiful day, a beautiful Saturday, with the children exploring and having fun and talking and laughing and visiting, all of that communion activity, the the communion between the parents of all these different aged children, sharing time together, talking and laughing and enjoying the beauty of creation in Christ, that was the communion, I think, that really matters, which the meal is meant to symbolize and point towards. The once for all atoning sacrifice of Jesus, which makes us a fellowship, a community. I love that aspect of our life here at MetroCrest. I'm hoping and praying that in the new year, in the year to come, beginning Easter 2021, that we will have more and more opportunity to share fellowship with each other, to enjoy communion with one another around Bible studies and adult education classes and children's education classes and fellowship opportunities at the park and just doing things together in Christ's name. It's in that context, that community context, as we live out our life in Christ together, like the disciples that first uh, Easter time, when 
in that context, Jesus becomes powerfully real to us. He becomes more than a story to us. He becomes our life. When the scriptures are set on fire in the context of communion with him, it begins to make an eternal difference. And for that, we should be very, very grateful this Easter 2021. So it's in the the context of communion with Christ, fellowship with him and with his people, that the first understanding of the resurrection shows forth. It's in that context that our eyes are opened as the scriptures uh, bear witness to him and stir our resistant hearts to respond. Fourth fact, the first implication of the resurrection was its mysterious physicality. In verses 13 to 35, the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples. He walks with them. Uh, He stands among them in verse 37. He speaks to them. In verse 40, he says to them, as he says to us, particularly to them, and because of their witness, he says it to us as well. See my hands and feet. Touch me and see. For a spirit, verse 40, does not have flesh and bones. Jesus' resurrection is not merely wishful thinking. It's not merely an interesting story to tell our kids. It actually happened. There was a physicality to it that Luke wants us to understand. Jesus was truly raised. He wasn't a figment of the church's imagination. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't translucent. He was real, physically real. A few years ago at a church I was working at in Canada as a large church, And a church official, the leading church official in the region, came to speak one Easter Sunday. And he came into the pulpit of this large church, a room full of Christians gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And this man got into the pulpit and he specifically said, Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. He actually mocked that point of view and said it was, was a, a kind of uh, resuscitation of a corpse, that it was really just sort of a, an immature way of understanding uh, what Jesus had done. He dismissed the physical resurrection. He quoted a book uh, that denied the resurrection. And he said this in front of a whole congregation of people on Easter Sunday morning. It broke my heart. Because of the circumstances, it was very difficult for the pastor, the senior pastor, to respond. But he did respond the next Sunday. He did respond the next Sunday in front of the same group of people. And he said the resurrection of Jesus was a physical reality. And that's what Luke is actually telling us. He's actually making the point that Jesus was physically raised so that not only could they look at him and hear him, not only could they touch him, see the wounds in his hand and his feet, but they actually could uh, share a meal with him. See, ghosts don't eat meals. Spirits don't eat meals. The resurrected Jesus shared breakfast with his disciples. He prepared it for them. And he ate a piece of broiled fish, verse 42 says. He took it and he ate it before them. That witness is written down for you and me. So that we, two millennia later, will understand that what happened to Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, was physical. And that awareness, that confidence, that truth has shaped the Christian understanding of of life and death ever since. 
Uh, we treat our dead with love and respect. Even though they've died, we treat their bodies with love and respect. It's a distinctive feature of the Christian faith. We, we treat the bodies of those who are in Christ with respect. Dignity is shown to them. Because Jesus' body was physically raised, we believe as Christians that there's a connection between our bodies at this moment and the eternal body, the resurrection body, the glorified body that we will one day share with Christ. That's such an important truth. It's mysterious. They didn't recognize Jesus. He was able to be places where it's hard to understand how he could do it. There's a mysteriousness about Jesus' physicality. But Luke takes pains that we would understand Jesus was physically raised from the dead and his resurrection body has intimate connection to the body that they had seen and the person they had known and cared about and loved. Because his body is connected to his resurrection body, so we have confidence, says Paul in 1 Corinthians. We have confidence, too, that there's an intimate connection between all of Christ's people and our physical bodies. There's a final fact, and I think it's particularly important uh, for a church to take to heart. The The fifth fact is, The first application of the resurrection was mission. Luke, again, goes to great pains to make this point, verses 44 to 53. Uh, Jesus talks them to his disciples. He says to them in verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. The resurrection must be understood in the context of mission. Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost. That's why he was born at Bethlehem. He came into the world to accomplish that. On the cross, he did that. He actually died for our sins. He died that we might have life. And now Luke says, quoting Jesus on that first Easter season, that that mission has been entrusted to Jesus' resurrection people. You and I have that responsibility. You and I have that privileged mission to proclaim the true understanding of what the scriptures teach, who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and the difference it makes, not just for us, but for the whole world. Because what Jesus came to proclaim is not merely... uh, Resurrection for me, resurrection for us, what Jesus came to proclaim is the new creation. The beginning of a new creation that began on Easter Sunday and according to Revelation will one day be revealed in its fullness. It's not just about me, it's not just about us, it's about all things. Jesus came to make all things new. 
He has come to bring the new creation. And Jesus had opened the minds of the disciples to understand that. He'd opened the law, the prophets, the Psalms, because they must be fulfilled. He taught them, and in the New Testament, they teach us what Jesus taught them. According to Acts chapter 1, Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days. What a Bible study that would have been. 40 days with the resurrected Jesus who opened the whole scriptures to them in which they spent the rest of their life led by the Holy Spirit unpacking for the church, teaching the church. As they themselves grew in understanding, they remained unimpressive, their whole witness Uh, They were sinners like you and me. They were inadequate. But led by the Holy Spirit, they were given the truth. They were given the truth to pass on to us. And now that truth transforms our lives. That truth gives us grace to be witnesses, unimpressive as we are on our own. I love Bill's prayer a moment ago, winning souls for Christ. That's a a beautiful beautiful way of describing the ministry entrusted to us by the resurrected Christ. Our awareness of our unimpressiveness, our weakness, doesn't stop us. In fact, our awareness of Jesus' power working in us gives us boldness and courage and confidence. Our awareness of Jesus' love gives us passion and earnestness like his, that we reach out in love to those who don't yet know the resurrection life of Christ, even today, even today. Our church's motto that we often make reference to is is always recorded in the bulletin at the top of the announcement sheet. It says, to discover the love of God and share it with others. I'm hoping we can spell that out. To discover the love of God through the scriptures, through communion, through fellowship with Christ, to discover it, to grow more and more deeply in our understanding of what Jesus has come into the world to do, that we would discover that together. And then, as the Spirit leads us through the scriptures, to share that love, to share that gospel truth, to share those facts with other people. That's my hope for us here in the remaining part of this uh, year of grace. Next Sunday, we're actually going to start or restart a series of sermons looking at the book of Acts. Uh, We were doing a series on Acts back before I was a candidate. We took a break for many months, and we're going back to Acts. The same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke that ends with the ascension, this mission being entrusted to the disciples as he ascended into heaven, that same man wrote the book of Acts. Acts is like volume two where he describes this unfolding mission, this mission of Christ in the world that you and I are responsible for, that he's given it to us to win souls, not in our own strength, but to be witnesses to Christ. So please be with us over the next several Sundays. We'll be be looking at the book of Acts. We'll be learning lessons from the apostles, from the disciples, Lessons that they learned that we will learn through them. Well, happy Easter to you all. May the power of the resurrected Christ be at work in your family, at work in your life, at work in our community, at work in this crazy world, pointing us towards his son.